Good morning and welcome to Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. Uh, this is the podcast where people of two generations who've been involved in tech talk tech and tech-related things. I am joined, as always, by my dad, Jack. How you doing? I'm fine, Todd. Good to we be need to get that today. third generation. We need to get that third generation to join us sometime. That would be fun. Yeah, it would be. Have you talked to him? Um, I have, and uh, we were talking about uh, uh, your, uh, my nephew, your grandson. He is restricted a little bit because of um, uh, his business. He works in the defense industry, and so he's he has to report anytime he talks about technology things. And I think he's hesitant to go do that. He doesn't want to shine a spotlight on him as somebody talking about stuff that might. And I'm sure he'd be careful and not say anything that he's not supposed to about, you know, what he's doing. But uh, um, but you certainly don't want him to you know even run that risk. So I don't suspect that we're ever really going to see him. But we do have other uh, people of his generation who use tech all the time. They're maybe not as tech interested or at the same level that he is or that you and I maybe are, but they certainly, you know, have been using tech. Oh, everybody's been using tech to go to school, dealing with, you know, things like uh, uh, online meetings and classrooms and, and all of the stuff that surrounds that. And it might be interesting to get some of that uh, perspective, um, you know, and we've even got some uh, my, my youngest nephews, uh, you know, are what, 10 and 8 now? Um, mm -hmm. It might be interesting even to hear their perspective on what it's like and what the things are that work for them and don't work for them. And, and you know, so we can um, we can explore that. Maybe that might be fun. Yeah, well, I'll I'll see them on the, the this week. They'll come, we're going to mm -hmm. we're going to have them on Thursday. So cool. Um, I might talk to them about it, see what they think. Yeah. Well, maybe while he's there, we can do a special Thursday Except you don't probably have a way to um, to set up two people going into one device, do you? You don't have like a mixer to be able to put him and you online simultaneously. No, we just have to share a microphone here, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but then, you, I, but then you've got headphones because you can't turn on the speakers. Otherwise, and we otherwise we get an echo. So right. you would have to have headphones shared somehow. Although you can get fairly cheap headphone splitters, you know. Yeah. Um, so that you can plug two headphones into one jack. Um, so. So I don't know. We'll think about it. We'll think about the logistics plus the getting people in because um, it might be interesting. I'd like to I kind of like to hear their perspectives on, you know, their use of technology, because I think technology for the average person has changed significantly this year. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, for a lot of people, it's, you know, sort of the inter Internet and Facebook or Instagram. Um, yeah, well, but this year that's expanded quite a bit because there's a lot of people using Zoom and Google Classroom and. And, you know, what are the things that work and don't work in that area, I wonder. So, you know, because I'm not doing it. I know my wife is, and I, I know what her complaints are from the teacher's side. Be interesting to hear <laughs> what some of the students say. Yep. So, so, and I know um, both my daughters, Jensen and Katie, both have had experiences with that, too. And they probably have some differing opinions, so we could also ask them. I know Jensen has uh, guest hosted on several of our podcasts in the past, and so she's usually willing if there's, you know, the right time yeah. of day. So. Yeah, yeah, get get different uh, get different perspectives. Yeah, sure which is sort of the point, right? Generation Tech was supposed to have generations, and we were hoping to have you know that our the, the next generation oh. after me joining us on occasion, and we really haven't done that yet. So I guess right. we need to be a little more proactive. Yep. Know, okay. Well, I'll I'll, I'll talk and we'll see see how it works out Thursday. Okay. So. 
Anyway. Okay. Well, like I said, we need to work the logistics of having two people at one end. I've got a mixing board here where I can plug in, you know, as many mics and headphones and speakers as I want and then run it into my my uh, device. But uh, it's a little harder at your end. Yeah. So, um, you know what I could do, though, too, is I could set up a phone that he could call into. And so I could just then mix the phone in. So he could then use his phone as an input. I mean, the sound quality is not as good as as Skyping, but it's also yeah. much easier. Well, he could use so. my new widget here. It's got improved voice uh, uh, microphone. Uh, that right, goes, better clarity. It's a, it's a lot lot better than the iPhone uh, microphone stuff. So Yeah, yeah. which is funny because the iPhone microphones are actually pretty good, especially the newer ones. But, uh, yeah, that thing has got good quality, good sound isolation. Gets rid of yep. a lot of the... Um, extra noise. So, the audio wow we're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think was it last week you kind of went through that in more detail as to what that really is and does. And um, yeah, it was the the sound quality is impressive. You can find YouTube videos where they do comparisons of switching back and forth between using the audio wow device and the microphone built in there versus the one on the phone, and they'll just you know in the middle of a scene switch back and forth particularly like they were outside walking in a garden in one of them and there was just all kinds of ambient noise picked up by the phone that was just completely taken out by the audio yeah. wow um which is you know well, that's, that's when you're in those kind of environments may, may, that's great it's important maybe this you know we we could just do a segment just as a test you know whether we really do anything with it or not uh of him being on the phone and and uh and patching it all together uh, on Thursday, mm-hmm. just try what we what we've got and see how it works. Why don't and, we do uh, that? We don't, yeah, because we and I, I know this is not necessarily you know interesting podcast stuff, but but yeah, we'll do it and we'll go ahead and uh, we'll do it live and then um, I'll also post it as like an extra segment uh, of uh, of our generation tech, uh, and sure. it may just be a test. We won't do a whole lot, but we will just verify it works. And if it works well, then we'll just go right into it and talk about stuff. Um, sure. A, you know, give us an opportunity at least to debug it and figure out how you know what we got to do. Anyway, so multiple uh, people. The things that I noticed that are kind of in the news right now is uh, January seventh to the eleventh. Uh, easy to remember, seven eleven, right? Yeah, uh, not January. Not, not January, June. June right. seven to eleven is the is the next mm-hmm. WWDC. If it, no one knows what that mm-hmm. is, it's a big uh, Apple conference. On, yeah, uh, Worldwide Developers Conference, so it's oriented right. towards people who do programming on Apple platforms. That's right. And there's yeah. always some interesting stuff that comes out of that meeting uh, to mm-hmm. kind of make the news. So that'll be uh, coming up. Yeah. Uh, well, they always prior- introduce their new version of their operating systems for that year, the next major upgrades. And so that's where you can start looking. And the betas will be available to the developers usually at the conference or during the conference. And then they'll make a public beta available in a month or two after that. But those those early betas at least point the way to new functionality and new capabilities that are going to be built into the operating system, which is always interesting. It's one of the things yep. I like about Apple the most is, you know, you can have a three or four year old device that, you know, with a software upgrade suddenly does things that it didn't do when you bought it. So you've actually your computer or your phone or your watch gets better over time in terms of the functions and capabilities that it has. Well, the uh, little blurb that I had on this is that they, uh, uh, Apple has done some work on their developer app across the iOS, iPadOS, and macOS that mm-hmm. allow that those platforms to 
uh, work and look and feel uh, more related. And so yeah. that's what this one's going to focus on, I guess. Uh, right. That's been an ongoing theme from them over the last couple of years is they very much, unlike Windows, didn't say they're going to have, um, uh, you know, variations of this or, or, or try to make everything. You know, Windows, the idea was Windows everywhere, right? And Apple said, no, Mac OS is for Macs and iOS is for phones and iPad OS is for um, iPads, but they all should be very similar. And the more we can make it easy for the developer to create something that runs on each of the different platforms and still look native to that platform, then uh, the better off the overall system is going to be for people because a lot of people who have iPhones end up buying Macs or iPads or both and Apple Watches and Apple TVs, you know, because they all work together yep. so well. And if you can yep. buy, you know, an, a piece of software that will work in any of those places, depending on what you're doing at that moment, that's awesome. And so, and, um, and in fact, that going. is such a powerful thing that uh, when you read about uh, Apple ever coming out with a car or something, that people have kind of reduced their advantage to how well and how the car integrates with all of their mm -hmm. stuff as being one of their major uh, selling points for their car. Now, what you mean by that, I think, is goes beyond the simple. Thing of yeah, they all play music or let you read while your car is automatically going down the road or th those kind of simplistic kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, but 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 uh, much more to the point that uh, you can do car things uh, with and from those devices that yeah. allow you to uh, say uh, you know uh, you're you're reading along and you say uh, hey I'd like hey Siri I'd like a, a Slurpee or something uh, it. Uh, Pulls checks over where the nearest uh, you know, seller o slurpees are and, and stops there, right? Do you? Yeah. Yeah. It let, yeah. Let you, you just do said the word. That, oh, yeah. You said the word, that. and I heard it. I heard it wake <laughs> up. I heard the sound. Yeah. You got to be careful when you're doing that. You know, um, so right. I was I just recently looking at it, too. You know, back in 2007, when Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone, that was one of the points he made early on was that this had the underpinnings of the same operating system as the Macintosh, and it has since day one. And and so this is a very long-term perspective on their part in terms of we intentionally built this all on the same underlying uh, systems and it's just taking a lot of you know a lot of time to rewrite and rebuild how these things are done because for a long time even though the 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 kernel of the operating system was the same all of the things that a developer uses to develop were different like the the um, you use different tools to create the interface for a phone than you would for a desktop app uh, operating system which makes sense because they're different now what they're doing is they're going back through all of those developer tools and saying, well, can't we create one tool that allows you to make the interface for each of these different things? And and you can then embed them into the application. So whichever device you run it on, it just presents you with the proper interface for that device. And and, and I think that there's, um, you know, a, a bit of genius in that overall idea in the long run. It's just taken a long time for them to implement that. I mean, you know, iPhone was right. introduced in 2007 and famously didn't even have any applications on it. So they got the technology out there and started getting it into people's hands because it was such a revolutionary change in the way phones worked. And uh, and then they've slowly been pulling it all together over the years. And, uh, you know, we're starting to see the, 
the fruits of that labor where things are coalescing um, around a, an ecosystem rather than just an operating system. Yep. Yep. And, and, and yeah. the other thing that, that uh, Brent comes into play here that I kind of wanted to talk about is that I, for the first time, read about something called the thread uh, router. Have you ever heard of the thread yes, router? Yes, thread radios. And they are in the I, I, um, iPad, no, PodPad, HomePod, there we go. HomePod Mini has a thread radio and thread router in it. And it's a mesh network that you don't have to configure. They automatically see other thread radios and connect on the network if you've already put them part of your, your home. And thread is an encrypted point-to-point connection so that you don't have to have like a single central router for things to talk. One of the issues with HomeKit and and uh, and Apple Home stuff and all smart home stuff really is that you everything has to be be within a certain distance of the of whatever your home hub is in order to connect. And they repeat signals, but it's just it's it's not as clean as the way Thread yeah. does it. And Thread is a stronger and better radio. I actually have a HomePod Mini and a Thread device it's a door sensor that tells me when my shack out back door has been opened and closed and it keeps a history a log uh-huh. of when people have come and gone um yeah. now it, there, there's no like magic codes or anything on it but i think thread is going to make uh smart homes a much much more interesting place yeah yeah you know it's uh, it goes way beyond bluetooth you know which mm-hmm. was not not meant to be that this this is basically modeled on the idea of mesh where you right. have lots of different places that can talk and uh, move things along. So it, it operates right. in, in a couple different modes mm-hmm. uh, yeah. as a router, as a, as a border router, and then others are at our endpoints that can get right. into the network. And so but if, you, if you think of it, think of your, your, all of your devices being connected by a, an invisible spider web. So it connects your, 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 you know, your door lock or your light bulb connects to, multiple different points and they're all interconnected so if any one of them fails everything else still is working and communicating and talking to each other right right so yeah. anyway and I, faster because it was purpose-built sorry i cut you off anyway I'm, I'm i'm kind of excited about that because uh when you talk about integrating stuff uh which is what mm-hmm. i was doing when i mentioned the car thing you know just add another node in here and you can mm-hmm. do things that that uh, you know, uh, yeah. device can can do that other things can't do. So yeah. it's uh, it's really it's an underpinning of the infrastructure that that is going to open new doors that we haven't even imagined yet what they're going to be. Exactly, I think exactly that's yes. what I think. And I and I I'm I personally, like I said, I'm excited about it so much so that um, I had wanted to put a little uh, sensor on my door here anyway. And so I uh, I did a little research and found that the uh, Eve company E V E uh, has some thread-enabled devices already. And so yeah. uh, they've got a door sensor that is thread-enabled, and they have a, a this is interesting, it's a, uh, a water space. valve. It's yeah. a water valve that attaches right. to your, your spigot, and right. then Hot you water. attach your sprinkler or your hose. and Yeah, and I've got one of those attached to a soaker hose, and it now waters uh, the greenery out in front of my house every other day. I can set whatever schedule I want or say, you know, turn it on when I come outside, turn it off when I go back inside. I mean, there's lots of different ways you can do it because it's all t- 
tied in and you and and you can use the the home interface and scripting to to pretty much automate it any which way you want yeah yeah i i'm i'm uh, really excited about it because you can see already so many possibilities and and if you're mm -hmm. you know when they first started talking about uh <clears throat> this home pod kinds of things i knew there was something that was needed to bring it all together and i think they finally got it it's it's getting some some uh, airplay or at least exposure that I hadn't seen before. And so I couldn't quite mm -hmm. see how, you know, it, the home kit thing sort of implied a central controller, you know, without thinking about how else you'd do it, you know? Right. And, and I, and I knew that wasn't a good answer. It just, just isn't. Yeah. Bluetooth wasn't the right technology for that. And right. uh, my experience with Bluetooth is <clears throat> it's always been very flaky. Even when you're just using Bluetooth headphones, it's iffy, and in fact, that's why Apple, I think, came out with their own Bluetooth headphones because they're using Bluetooth with some twists that are unique to Apple, and so that's why your AirPods attached to your phone uh, a little bit better and a little bit differently than uh, regular Bluetooth does because yeah. they're they're putting some secret sauce in there to make that connection better because Bluetooth is just not real reliable. That's been my experience anyway. You know, it, yeah. it connects. Sometimes it doesn't connect. Sometimes it connects and won't release. Um, it's, uh, you know, it forgets a device. You then have to reacquaint them before you can then connect. I mean, it just, there are a lot of little things that just sort of work most of the time, kind of. Well, at least when you compare it to another alternative, and that's having earphones or, or excuse me, hearing aids, uh, mm -hmm. like I do, and those connect in a different way and they're not manufactured by Apple. That's, yeah. that's a real low bar to get above, you know? Uh, Bluetooth yeah, looks I, compared to that. Because I've always wondered why that is the case. Why do they treat earphones that are Bluetooth enabled differently than just a Bluetooth device? Maybe there's some capabilities or, or some bandwidth. Maybe it's a bandwidth thing because, you know, Bluetooth has limited bandwidth. And because uh, by their very nature, they're, uh, you know, hitting specific bandwidth ranges. Maybe it's a, a, a special connection just because of that. Well, that was worked out with the manufacturers of hearing aids, the major ones right. around the yeah. world. And so, I, you know, it was done independently of, uh, of a general solution. And, right. uh, and well, that's what I'm necessary. saying. Because they needed the greater bandwidth than Bluetooth could, at least at that time, handle. And, and it was a necessary thing because when it's working, it's working great. The real problem with too many hearing aids is on the hearing aid side of it. The battery's uh, maybe not totally discharged, but it's weak, and therefore the radio side gives out. You know, right? And, and you have trouble maintaining connections, and so there's there's just a whole tro a bunch of things that are are different about it. That, uh, that you know, and it's getting old. I mean, you know, it was invented back before they had other ideas and better ways of mm -hmm. doing things. And, so, yeah, well, there's been sub subsequent versions of Bluetooth that have given it greater bandwidth and have given it greater distance. And, you know, they've done things to make it better, but it's still not as good. You know, you, you keep patching. It's like taking a car and you keep bolting on, you know, a turbocharger and you bolt on, you know, an airfoil. And, and it's like, but if you just were to build a car from scratch, you could probably do a better job than keep bolting on old stuff to new or new stuff to old technologies. Right. Yeah. Well, anyway, I've uh, th this thing, this thread thing. One of the first things that that I thought about when I learned about it is, man, I wish they would have a thread hearing aid. You know, 
then then you'd yeah. fit in with all of this stuff uh and and it might work mm -hmm. better you know so i'm going to get online and try to research that and see if anybody in the hearing aid business is doing something to upgrade I wonder. and move to some sort of standard I wonder, though, if that is, um, you know, I mean, I know th thread radios are designed for consistent connectivity and for, um, they were really designed for smart home applications. I don't know how good, in fact, I've not read of anything where thread is being used to transfer sound. In other words, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily designed for streaming options, you know. I mean, it doesn't mean it can't do it, but uh, again, is you know, sometimes a purpose-built thing is better, you know, like... Um, Apple right. has AirPlay 2, and that has, you know, it's designed specifically for streaming. It has much higher bandwidth range, so it can hit all the sounds and sounds much better than anything in Bluetooth if you're attached via AirPlay. And, right. uh, you know, but I, I think AirPlay 2 is not uh, as energy efficient as Bluetooth. So, you know, right. you have that battle too. You know, to have a better connection, you've got to use more power. And let's face it, you're, you're, uh, anybody's hearing aids don't have big batteries in them because they're meant to be tiny, right? That's right. But, yeah. but they're supposed to be high fidelity. After mm -hmm. all, that's, that's, that's to improve your hearing, you know? Exactly, exactly. So, so that makes me think that, you know, I mean, Bluetooth is probably the wrong choice because the fidelity is, is very uh, compressed with Bluetooth yep. by the very nature of it. Um, I wonder if I, if there are any um, any hearing well, aids see, that support AirPlay too, because yeah, that so is a that that is the best uh, from what I've heard anyway the best streaming uh, sound streaming method that's available to most homes. See, see the other compromises that they made and 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 reason that I think it ended up on Bluetooth was because that was the first low power technology. Right. You know, and and you're always going to have that constraint somehow with the with the uh, hearing aids yeah uh, so I, I don't know if there's any plans to move from there or not I, I just don't know enough about this technology yet to, to know but I would think that they because of all the things they might want to connect to that low power should be one of those uh, I suspect mm -hmm. what thread really comes down to is another one of those good integrated hardware uh, low power circuits that does a whole bunch within a tiny, tiny little chip, you know, and all you got to do is mm -hmm. add that chip to something and suddenly it's uh, it's a thumb uh, network hub or something or whatever. Yeah. I don't mean a hub, but node, a node on that network. So, uh, you know, it's just, I, I can dream as long as I don't know what, what's in it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's it's one of those areas that has a, you know, very specific needs, and Bluetooth is a general solution, but it was the solution we had available to us, and now there might be some options. So, yeah, I think it would be interesting to explore whether or not Thread is something that it can be used to stream music, and, and because it has some advantages. Um, likewise, I think it would be interesting to see if there are um, any... Um, uh, AirPlay 2 had, uh, uh, hearing aids at the same time because, you know, again, AirPlay 2 is designed to for streaming music at high fidelity. So, yeah. But I don't know how much power their radios require. So they may not be something that's, you know, small enough to fit in a, in a um, hearing aid at this point in time. So, yeah. 
you know, I mean, you could always go to big, giant, old-style hearing aids, but nobody wants that, right? Right. So. Yeah, I, I don't know what if there's a good answer to the hearing aid problem, uh, but no, number one is that I'm still in battery technology, and I know the latest ones now, you don't mm -hmm. put batteries in them, you just put them on a charger, and they just, you know, it's, it's like your uh, ear pods, they, they charge. You know, they don't they have charge that. up, yeah. So you don't have to keep buying those little micro-sized button things and then getting them into the stupid thing without dropping the everything, right, and losing them. Right, or, or yeah. dropping one on the floor and your dog eats it, you know. Right, uh, which is, like, <laughs> worst possible. That was my my next thing is, like, and how many of those have you dropped and how many of those has the dog found and eaten and, and passed, luckily? Because, well, you know, the stuff we've inside those batteries is incredibly costing. Yeah. So, yeah, you do anyway, what? You have to be very careful. That's right, and so yeah. clearly it's one of those things you don't do out. on your lap, right? You always do it on a table, right? You just like right. this will <laughs> always happen on a countertop or a table. This is never going to happen while I'm sitting at the couch because too easy to drop something and have it get lost in a crease or a thing. And it's even hard to see those batteries; they are super tiny. I mean, they're the size yeah. of a of a BB basically. Um, yep. You know, uh, so. which also means that you're changing them a lot because something that size can't carry that much power. I think I think you're right. The the newer ones make much more sense that they're recharging and that way you, you you know, they're sealed. You never lose the battery. You just set the thing on the charger and it's or stick it in the charging case or whatever the technology is. Yeah, and, well, uh, solve the problem. Yeah, and and the hearing aids have to talk to each other too in order to coordinate the volume keep the supposedly at the same level and the hearing aids and stuff like that. So there's uh Mine don't do that anymore, and so I'm thinking I'm needing an upgrade to get new set of hearing aids, and so I'm starting to think about, well, what are the features that I want? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And, uh, yeah, and I'm just reading, let's see, I'm trying to see the date on this. Uh, well, 30th of May, 2020, it literally is out today. I'll send you a link um, about a set of hearing aids that a gentleman um, on Tidbits, which is a longstanding blog, about Apple and Apple products. Um, in fact, I think they were the first Apple blog back in, uh, or Mac blog back in the early to mid 80s. They've been around a long, long time. Um, but anyway, there's a fairly detailed long article about a gentleman's uh, experience using, let's see, he settled on a pair of Pure 312 3NX by Signia uh, hearing aids. Oh. I don't know, you know, that specific model, but he also makes some assumptions that some of this stuff is probably the same regardless of the model, uh, but uh, which is yeah. probably fair. But it's interesting to to, um, you know, talk about what works and what doesn't and how they work and uh, and how they attach. But he goes through even how they're configured and how they attach to the uh, to the. Um, to the phone device and and so yeah and it, it was funny though because the end i i just was looking at it quickly to see if there was anything about um you know using either of the other radio technologies these are still bluetooth uh and his his final summary is well it works it, it air quote or air quotes mostly just works <laughs> it, mostly which which it sounds pretty much like your description of is it, it mostly works but when it doesn't it's maddening that's, that, that's not the kind of words I was looking for, Todd. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, you don't want technology that mostly works. 
That's right. Yeah. You know, well, I, and the other I, thing is, you know, that people don't pay a lot of attention to it very often, but developers and and product manufacturers do, and that is, when it fails, how graceful is the failure? You know, if something fails, assume your your thing at some point is going to fail. So, what are the most likely ways it's going to fail, and can you do that without? screwing everything up and having to start from scratch to reconfigure and reset up and you know so how gracefully does it fail um right and that's a big deal so you know well, anyways, things that you and i don't necessarily think about, <clears throat> unless it's just, failing really badly yeah but it, but it's just another area that's ripe for uh moving along with the, the latest and greatest technology uh yeah because not not much has happened in the hearing aid world in the past uh, eight or ten years that I can see. That uh, mm -hmm. was a it was a big deal first of all just to get them digital. That was sort of my last upgrade. I went from a, a strict audio thing where you had an actual tube with the sound had to go go uh -huh. through from the from your ear out to the device before it ever got amplified. Right. You know, yeah, so, now they got digital anyway. amplifiers, and they're much smaller and uh, better right. sound quality, more clarity. So, yeah, it, it's and I wonder, too. To me, that's always one of those things that I kind of considered, and, and, and no disrespect to the audiologists and people who deal with these things, I kind of considered them pseudo-medical devices in that the what they do is there's nothing tricky about it. Basically any set of headphones could do something like that. What, what's tricky is the secret sauce of tuning it to your specific hearing. And I think a lot of that can be automated these days. So I think that that whole industry is ripe for change. The trick is dealing with the fact that they're considered medical devices. And so, you know, I'm sure there are people lobbying that in terms of, you know, Hey, look at how much we could be helping people. If you would just change this category to something that is, uh, you know, less constrictive, and what is the downside to it? And the downside is probably not all that much. You know, now I suppose that if I were talking to somebody who works in that industry, they could list all kinds of downsides to me. But you know, just me sitting here thinking about it, I, you know, I don't. It's like the difference between a prescription drug and an over-the-counter drug. You know, and at some point, a lot of drugs become over-the-counter drugs. At yeah. some point, hearing aids should just be an over-the-counter thing. I don't think you should have to have, you know, uh, I mean. It should be still recommended, probably, especially if you have very specific hearing issues. But I think there's a lot of people who, who could uh, sit down and do a you know self configuration when you get the device and figure out, and it would then automatically adjust to what you need, and you'd be fine. Yeah. Well, let, let me tell you just one one improvement that would just change everything in terms of the hearing aid technology that I have to what it should be, and that is is uh, for people who don't wear hearing aids. Uh, the the worst characteristic is feedback, and it happens oh. when you get in your car or your head gets close to any kind of material that will reflect. And right. The worst. I've heard case, your feedback from three feet away. I can't imagine how loud that must feel. In your oh, ear. it just it's just like somebody screaming in your ear, and you yeah. know whatever gain you get from it, you, you're getting more and more deaf every day because the hearing aid itself is actually damaging your hearing. Yeah, it's, blasting it's an awful in your ear. Problem. Which so, shocks me because you look at something like AirPods or even more so the AirPods Pro that have a, you know, sound pass through where they could very easily filter that. I mean, they could essentially be hearing aids. If, it, if, it should. You know, there, the software was there. I've never had my my AirPods give me that kind of feedback. So why are oh, hearing aids doing it? That's Well, that's because they weren't designed right. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. Just, they, they don't work together well. Uh, 
it's just old, you know, and, yeah. and it's it's intolerable, and that's why I want to just get rid of mine and get something else ASAP. Yeah. I'm in a hurry. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And what I'm, kind of damage I, are you doing to your ear having something scream in your ear multiple times a day when you you know happen to you know lean up next to a wall or something? And and I know the reason for it in mine. I told you that the two hearing aids aren't talking to each other like they should. In order to mm-hmm. to work that problem, you've got to have both of them. Uh, right. Uh, well, you don't have have to. You can just sense the volume if it's pumping some kind of yeah. high high volume sound, and you know it's gone wrong. You got to shut right. it down. Well, on my AirPods Pro, I very often only use one ear at a time because I want the other ear free to hear what's out there. And I've set them up so that they do noise canceling, even if I only have one ear in. So it blocks noise. But then if you put it in pass-through mode, it'll pass through exterior sound. So those exterior sounds are coming in through the microphone on the AirPod and then being processed and then played into my ear through the speaker in the little AirPod. It's doing everything that a hearing aid would do other than adjusting things specifically for my ear, you know? Right. And and there's software well, out there but, that even allows you to go in with an equalizer and adjust specific frequency ranges so that exactly. you can do essentially the same thing that the hearing aids are doing. And I've never, ever had mine feedback with what I have one or two in. It's just, it's just you know, just poor design. And, and they're charging yeah. you an arm and a leg for these stupid things and requiring a prescription. When there's yeah. all kinds of better technology available that just isn't, you know, air quotes, certified to be called a hearing aid. And I think that's, that's you know, yeah. ripe for changing. Ripe for changing. Yep. You know, we've had two fairly uh, elderly presidents now um, who, who probably could have, you know, some advantage of use of hearing aids. Maybe they'll get irritated enough to, to get some laws changed. You know, the president's leaning, trying to talk to somebody and suddenly you hear this feedback and this whining coming from his ear. And he's like, dang it. What did you say? Um, You know, get somebody with some power to just say, you know what? We're going to change the rules here. This is crazy. So it's, uh... you know, because it is actually part of the executive branch, right? The um, uh, Food and Drug Administration. Oh, Oh, yeah. All all those. So the president could go in and say, this is how we're going to do this. You know, now I know there's also laws that constrict or or or, or um, don't suggest control anything. what they can do. We've got big enough dictators right now who have who think they have more power than they really do. They well, if they're going to do something that's outside the range of their scope of of actual power, do something that people want, like fix the stupid hearing aids. You know, yeah. we were able to get the the Food and Drug Administration to approve vaccines lickety split. Why can't they they solve that problem? Why do people who have hearing issues have to deal with with rickety technology. Yep. So. Come on, world. And I say this with, <laughs> with myself in mind, expecting that at some point I'm probably going to have to get here someday, too. And so it's like, you know, I want this problem solved before I get there, guys. That's all yeah. I'm saying. I'm, I'm totally selfish about this. Be nice well, to solve it for you, too. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, but I really want it solved by the time my I life get there. Thus far, if I, if I look back from my childhood... I'm 80 years old, by the way, and uh, in 80 years, it's just amazing the kind of things that mm-hmm. that have come along to make life a whole lot easier, you know, a whole lot better. Uh, but uh, we still got some problems to solve, you know. And yeah, uh, uh, I think that you know a lot. You know, it's it's great because you make wonderful um, uh, strides in terms of technology and and uh, and what 
you know, moving forward. But a lot of times those then present new problems, right? You create new problems with the new technology. And so then you have to, to work. Right. I think it was Einstein who said, you know, um, we can't solve the problems that we face with the same level of thinking that we used when we created them. And I think that's, you know, a beautiful way of phrasing it is like, you know, <clears throat> We create most of our own problems based on decisions we make, and then we have to go back and say, well, that decision doesn't work anymore for today. And we're not always particularly good at doing that, especially at the governmental level, of going back and saying, well, you know what? What was a solution back then is not such a great solution right now. <laughs> By the way, some interesting things, breakthroughs from 1940, okay? Yeah. Artificial silk. It was nylon. Yep. It was the first man-made uh, thing. Since then, we you know almost everybody wears clothes that are made out of artificial fibers, right? And, and most and of those are made and, from and crude oil. Based. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most of those are made from crude oil. Uh, but yeah, textiles. It was, uh, uh, you know, nylon was was it. Um, so anyway, while we, while we were talking about this, I came up on an article that's called. Flows audio sunglasses are an affordable entry into audio eyewear. And they even talk in comparison to Bose frames, B-O-S-E, right. the sound Well, of guys. course they're going to compare to Bose because the Bose are $250, and I'm yeah. sure they're less. And so they're going to say, well, we sound as good as they do. I would say that, you know, show me before I believe it. Um, right. I just for I needed a new pair of sunglasses for when I'm coaching on the deck, and I wanted a pair of the kind that kind of wrap around your face a little bit to block sun from coming yeah. in on the sides because it's very bright out on the swim deck. And so, just this week, my sunglasses arrived, and they are <clears throat> audio sunglasses. Now, I got a cheap knockoff pair that I really never expect—I shouldn't say knockoff, but a cheap pair that I never expected to sound as good as the Bose. Uh, but they. Um, you know, they were like $60, and they uh, have polarized UV 400 protection on the lenses, and they look like just regular wraparound sunglasses that you might see from, um, uh, you know, any of the sunglass manufacturers. They are of a specific style that does have the thick arms around the side, but, they're, but these don't look like giant thick arms that have, like, batteries and amplifiers and speakers in them. They're actually molded in and look yeah. relatively good. So I like wearing them just as sunglasses. The speakers are admittedly a little tinny. There's not a lot of bass, and that's something that I know that Bose would have would have engineered into theirs much better. But they Bose would have cost what five times as much. So well, the uh, the reviews on these say where flows falls short, unfortunately, is sound quality. Had we not right. been able to compare them with our Bose frames directly, we likely wouldn't feel as disappointed as we do. But unfortunately, we did. <laughs> Right. Well, and I will say, I didn't have to have the Bose frames. I knew <laughs> by putting them on that these <laughs> the sound quality was not nearly as good as the Bose. You know, I've got other Bose products, and I know there's people who knock Bose for compressing their sounds and stuff, but they they do give you a rich, specific type of sound. And uh, let me tell you, the ones I got are not it. Uh, but there's yeah. lots of companies out there that sell um, these kinds of you know uh, Bluetooth speakers built into the arms of your uh, sunglasses now and yeah. I would say the vast majority of them are probably not particularly good sounding but you know what I the mo I listen to more than anything else like when I'm walking 
uh, is like when I'm coaching, I'll play a little music in the background while I'm doing it. Uh, and uh, when I'm, but if I'm out walking or something, I'm almost always playing a podcast, so it's voice, so I don't have to have particularly high fidelity. Mm-hmm. You know, I just have to be able to hear the guy talk. So, yeah. But that's my listening habits. You know, if you listen to music and you want higher quality, then then you probably need to spring for the the better, more expensive glasses. <laughs> or here, or here's the thought: just get earbuds that actually sit in your ear. The and, the uh, flows, by the way, in terms of cost, uh, come in at one hundred and fifty dollars, whereas Bose were two hundred and the Fauna glasses are three hundred. So those are kind of the different ranges of of glasses with audio. Anyway, they have. Yeah, it's funny you brought that up, though. Like I said, I literally just got a pair, and it, and like I said, granted, mine were an inexpensive pair, and I, so I my my expectations were relatively low, but they're functional. You know, you have all the, yeah. the hang-ups and irritations of Bluetooth. You know, trying to because they're designed. At least the one I got was designed with one button, so you know. You press and hold the button to turn them on. You press and hold the button for like five seconds to turn them off. If you press and hold the button for like three seconds, then it activates Siri, which it's good to know. You know, you tap the button, it pauses. You tap the button, it plays again. So you can pause and, and restart yeah. it. So if somebody comes talking to you, you can shut the noise off without taking the glasses off and then squinting. So, um, you know, they're okay for what they are. Like I said, I yeah. like them just as regular glasses, so I'm happy with that. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you, the, the bottom line in that area is you get what you pay for probably, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, those of us who have had Bose products kind of know what the sound is from a Bose product. And I suspect that you're going to get that kind of sound from their Yeah. Glasses. By the way, how many, how many years ago was it that we went to the, uh, uh, to the, uh, Vegas. It was uh, Comdex back Comdex, then. It was Comdex. And, it was bef- that was before we, CES. And, and, and yeah, and and Bose right. introduced their uh, uh, the new. It was like uh, it was a sound isolating sound. speaker, but it was it was a plugged in one. It wasn't Bluetooth because this was pre Bluetooth. Yeah, it was a long time uh, ago. Remember the the uh, ear cups uh, were like a gel type of stuff. I mean, they were leather, but com- they were filled with like a, the most comfortable headphones I've ever felt. And both of us were like, "These are amazing. We need to get some of these." So we turned yeah. to the Bose guy and asked him what. Yeah. <laughs> And and he said they don't. We don't have these for sale yet. <laughs> yeah, they're not for sale. And he said when they are for sale, they're going to go for about a thousand dollars. Yeah. And we both went, oh, oh, okay. Thank you very much, sir. Um, I think <laughs> that they have that that same technology in terms of the way they're designed and the comfort on your head. Bose sells a set of uh, professional headphones for pilots. You know, with a boom mic on it. Yeah. And sure. I'm pretty sure that's the same technology, and those sell for a run, right around $1,000. Of course, because they're used for airplanes, they also now have to be certified by the FAA, which adds to the cost. Well, um, but the gov- government's buying them. You, you and I are paying for them. We're right. all paying for them, you know, so it's no big yeah. deal. Price you know, but if, you, you know, if you're an air traffic controller and you sit all day with a set of headphones on your head talking to airplanes, you know, you, you should have something that's comfortable and customized to you. Um, yeah. I know that uh, I have a, a relative who's now retired from the FAA, and he actually went and got custom uh, in-ear monitors made, custom molded to his his specific ears, like the um, like musicians use on stage. Um, and that was the most comfortable thing for him all day was to wear that because you know you you work for you know six seven eight hours with headphones on, and 
they're all going to become hot and sweaty and heavy. And so, you know, something that just fits right in your ear is probably the best way to do it. But, uh, yeah. you know, again, you get so, what you pay for. Yep. Uh, when are they going to have that? Wasn't there supposed to be a meeting sometime in March and Apple was supposedly going to bring out an iMac or something? Uh, or was, there was I rumors there was flying, rumor. of course, that Apple never actually said anything because why oh. would they? They don't actually ever say anything, but uh, unless they're actually doing it. I had heard um, subsequently from one person who said that he has a source that has never told him anything wrong, but that everybody was overwhelmingly say it was coming in March. And that source had told him it would be uh, early April. And so he said he should have listened to him and just not gone with all the hype. And that that source said early April, it'll probably be early April, but there will be some sort of announcement and or release of new product. So um, for those of you waiting with bated breath because you want the the supposed new Mac Pro that's going to be, what, 14 inches and return with some of the ports that they've taken out of them in the past because pros need some ports sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. That is supposedly dangling out there, as are the new redesigned M1 iMacs. And that one, because they've, you know, basically sold out of certain models of iMac that currently exist, that one is very believable. At, at some point, you know, right now, if you want an iMac, there's only certain configurations you can get. Um, and so, uh, you know, they're selling off that in, that uh, that inventory, um, which mm -hmm. seems very obvious that there's going to be a replacement for the IMAX here fairly shortly. Now, whether they come out with the the uh, you know long rumored Air tags <clears throat> or a new iPad Pro or anything like that at the same time, who knows? You know, um, and I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if like the professional iMac with more or uh, not iMac, the professional um, MacBook Pro with more slots and stuff if that didn't wait if that waited till wdc in june you know because they they do sometimes at wdc announce <laughs> products not always because it's mostly about developers but if they do announce products it's products that are what they call the professional line right they're more expensive right. usually have right. some additional functionality and stuff and that would make sense i think so yeah so they can talk I, to their talk to their customers right there and Although this is mm -hmm. online totally this year, I understand. Right. Yeah, they're do that's what they did last year, and they're going to do it again this year. be interesting to see if they just keep that model. <clears throat> You've got to think, A, it's it's a lot less expensive for them and for everybody coming to the conference, and B, uh, they can shape their message better. You know, it, you don't have oh, you know, yeah. there's no stumbling on stage. If you stumble, you just say, okay, another take, because, you, you know, it's not right. all done live. It's all recorded, uh, or at least parts yep. of it are recorded. Um you know, and certainly everybody's learned how to use things like um, uh, Zoom to do group meetings. So if you're going to go into a, you know, if you're one of those people who has the ticket and you go into a breakout room with with developers and you want to ask questions about certain functions within the uh, within their developer code, um, you know, you can have direct hands-on conversations or, or via Zoom with the developers. And I don't know that that's any more or less effective than being able to talk to them in the room. In fact, I think it might in some ways be more effective because, you know, if that guy is running a, a, a session, say, on, you know, the uh, core audio or something, you know, that's their their underlying audio technologies, um, you know, he can talk to you. He can also then, instead of you seeing him, he can flip and show you his screen and then go right in and, and give you a piece of code and demonstrate what he's talking about and how to access that. And so he can yeah. answer questions and show you a screen much 
even easier than he could in. I mean, I know they could do it in in the classrooms when they do their breakout sessions, but you, uh, you you know you can't sit in a crowd of a hundred to two hundred people and get any detail, and very few people get to ask questions. So I right. think that these personalized, more personalized online systems are going to be around forever. I, I, yeah, I think, I think it, we may see a hybrid at some point, but I think these make a lot of sense. It also yeah. means they don't have to worry about, you know, uh, getting all their developers in one location for these things. You know, they don't right. have to get them all there because not all of them necessarily work right in that area. You know, they've got them all you know, scattered around the world. I, I heard yeah. almost 70 percent of Apple employees still work from home. And, and yeah. they're allowed to, and they like it. Yeah. Because they, they save a lot on gas and hassles and, you know, unproductive yeah. well, time. It's just uh, Their corporate offices are in a very, you know, populous, impacted, traffic-y area. I, I don't blame them for saying, you know, I'll go into the office when I need to, but realistically, I don't need to all that often. Yep. So, yeah, good for them. And, and I don't know how, how that compares with other businesses, but there's there's a there's got to be a lot of business that's going to forever uh, allow people to work from home. And they'll probably pay them more for doing it that way, too. Yeah, I think that you're going to see a a huge drop in commercial real estate. There's going to be a lot of places that are saying, we we, we maybe still want to have corporate headquarters, but we don't need them the way we needed them before. We need a much smaller space with, and it should be, you know, a space where people can, can check into an office and use it when they need it and then check out. And so it's a multi-use space as opposed to Joe's office, right? Because right. a lot of the time it's just sitting there empty. And so we might as well just make it, you know, have a desk and you bring in your bring in your laptop or your iPad and phone and whatever else you need. And you can sit down there and use that space. And then you move to the, you know, when you're done, somebody else can use that space. You know, yep. they'll, Apple will probably develop a, a room sanitization robots, right? So when you check out, the robot will come rolling down the hallway, go into the room and start <laughs> fogging the room with sanitizer and, and scrubbing down touch surfaces. And, and, and then, you know, it'll be green on the on the room reservation app uh, once it's been Speak, desanitized. Speaking of robots, did you see that silly show? Uh, I guess it was 60 Minutes where the robots were dancing. I've seen some of that. I didn't. I don't remember seeing it on sixty minutes just, recently, but uh, I, I think it was sixty minutes uh, just this last weekend, and mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like that. I thought to myself, uh, I would, uh, as an engineering company, this Boston design or no yeah, Boston, Boston Dynamics, Robotics, no Dynamics. That's what it is. Uh, they they probably didn't do themselves any favor. They've been cha- they've changed hands by the way quite quite often yeah, and it's several different times because they're not they're not really spending money where it uh brings about product that has yeah. valued everybody i mean they're just having fun as a laboratory uh and hope well they have to you know they have a, a product they have a product division and then they have a research division and the research division is doing fun things like that but they're also learning how to you know make the the robot more nimble and able to handle you know rugged terrain and and balance better and things like that you know their number one. Yeah, and how many, um, custom, how, how many customers? Their number one customers, the United States military. Number one customers, yeah. the United States military, and they have they've been selling them robots that will go into um, uh, buildings and with cameras and sensors be able to identify who's in the building and not put soldiers at risk when they go uh, when they yeah. are in hostile areas. Yeah. You know, and they've got robots that can you know go into a room, peek around corners use radar to see things through walls and go up and down stairs 
And so, um, uh, and, and what they don't want to tell you is that they'll shoot somebody. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously they don't talk about that because you know, that, that, that doesn't go over big, but, uh, you know, someday when you go hunting, you won't take a rifle with you. You'll take your robot dog and say, okay, go get it. And it'll go tr- track down the animal, shoot it, you know, attach it and drag it back to you. Right. <laughs> like, where's the sport in that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, they don't want to tell people that robots have been armed, right? Because then everybody immediately goes to science fiction well, things like iRobot and the robots taking over humanity and robots. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I was listening to an article the other day or listening to a conversation the other day about that. And they've already got things where it's not robots per se, but they've got like uh, essentially virtual robots with cameras and they're tied into an AI. And the AI then tells people when it's time to clock in and time to clock out. And and they're they're you know, they'll they'll give you notification that your you know, that your your uh, your your speed on the assembly line has slowed down and so they want you to pick it up. So you're basically being directed. Your boss now is essentially an AI in some in, in some um, uh, yeah. development or some some environments. Let, uh, let mostly me tell you, mostly I, I, I work for a company and I won't name them and I won't name the project, but but at the time that I was working there, it was a group of guys who had a contract that was basically trying to uh, – we have – a lot of people aren't aware, but we have a number of, of uh, hazardous locations in this country where we've developed uh, radioactive things, and that has very long right. life. And when things like, uh, like some of those places have uh, – liquid in them or whatever right they, they leach into the ground yeah they, they eventually uh get holes in them and the radioactive mm-hmm. stuff leaks out or leaks into the ground and anyway you have to reclaim this stuff there's plans and a lot of money spent to go out and get technology that allows you to investigate the best way to to uh, mitigate uh, all of the risks associated with this well that was brought about one of the most interesting uh, things I've ever been involved with, where basically we put a little robotic camera. We we had these big tanks, and they didn't even know how much stuff was in them. So the first thing was just to get inside and see how, you know, with some kind of measurement tool, visual, it, was, it turned out to be the answer, with little cameras that were hardened to, uh, but even then you had to get in the tank and get, get it back out quickly. Of course, uh, there were several ways to do that, radio waves in except that uh, most tanks are metal and that didn't really work so anyway uh, and photograph the substance how much there is uh, and what's the condition of the liners and the tanks and all kinds of stuff like that and you couldn't do it you know personally because you'd die <laughs> you know it yeah radioactivity was extremely high and so anytime you have those kinds of sites you got to do it remotely somehow and so it's robotics, ultimately. We didn't call it that, but uh, but we managed to do a lot of cleanup at, uh, at uh, at least two critical sites that I'm aware of. And at the time we did, there was uh, so, so a few accidents. Uh, one is that uh, the stuff had leaked out and was going into a major river, and there were Native Americans that had walked across the river downstream from where that those leaks had occurred and they got all kinds of radiation burns all over their bodies and that made it the mm-hmm. newspapers you know yeah 
Uh, yeah, so those kind of sites are, are scattered around the U.S., and uh, environmentalists know where they are and pick at them regularly. Um, yep. You know, I don't know the status Urging of for that kind of cleanup. It's been a long time since I did that, so it's, you know, probably, sure. hopefully, uh, cleaned up and, and done with by now. But mm -hmm. it's just, uh, it was a well, but there's more, you know, <laughs> thing because of the difficulty of the problem, you know. Right. Yeah. Did you happen to watch? Um, I'm trying to remember. It's a. I think it was a, an HBO. Well, you probably wouldn't have, but it was on HBO. Maybe it was Netflix. They did a um, uh, a mini series, and everything was based on on survivors and and people who were in uh, the Russian big Russian nuclear meltdown that happened back in the I want to say 80s, oh. 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they had that very issue. Of course, they didn't have the technology to do it. So they were basically they were like trying to clean up radioactive stuff off of a roof. And mm -hmm. so what they did is they had a guy standing back with a stopwatch and they would send two guys out at a time wrapped in basically in like lead pants, lead shoes and lead jacket. And they'd be allowed to stay for 30 seconds and then they would come back. And that was it. Nobody then they were never allowed to go back out there because they didn't want their exposure to be higher. So then they'd get another two guys that run out, you know, work for 30 seconds and then run back in. Um, I mean, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, that's yeah. that's in a society that says, you know, you have to do this because it's it's a, uh, a, a mark against our country. And this is the only technology we've got. You know, men did it. Yep. Yep. You know, uh, and lots of sad stories around that. It's Chernobyl was the name of the um, the miniseries. Yep. yep. And uh, it's actually really, really well done. And it talks about some of the different people involved with not only the cleanup, but also some of those involved with, you know, what went wrong and when it went wrong and how it went wrong. And uh, stuff that I think, you know, people who lived through it sort of kind of remember stuff. But it was interesting to see it kind of like all put together in, in a narrative um, mm -hmm. and quite a harrowing story. Um, you know, and it doesn't end on such a, I mean, a, a horrible, depressing note either. I mean, it honors the people whose lives were lost. But it also uh, talks about the fact that in this dead zone that they don't allow anybody to live in there because there's still areas that are blocked off that no human beings are allowed to travel in. They yeah. said that there's actually lots of wildlife and greenery that has come back in that area. And, mm -hmm. uh, and while the wildlife seems to be thriving, you're not allowed to go hunting there because the wildlife all is radioactive. Yep, yep. I, I was one of the guys who was actually made an on-site visit to one of those places and uh, uh, we wore radiation badges you know mm -hmm. whenever we were in the area and so they looked at they were looking at the total radiation that you had so that this, this badge would when you came back was tested and you'd receive right more than you had expected to you didn't get to go back you know right yeah because there's there's like exposure limits and then there's lifetime limits because once yeah. you've been exposed that's, that's like they say, you know, even when you're doing x-rays, you know, you shouldn't get yeah. you shouldn't get x-rays that are not necessary because every time you get an x-ray, you're getting a little bit of radiation exposure. Yep. And so, you know, do it when you need it because it's valuable, but don't do it when you don't need it. Don't do it just to see. Right. Yep. The miniseries Chernobyl was on HBO, so you have to have HBO Max to watch it. It's still available for for uh, streaming if you've got HBO um, and it's a five part series. So there's five five segments and I think they're each. You know, like two hours or something like that so 10 yeah. hours of watching but really really well done um yeah so actually i'm looking at it the first one's hour and 20 minutes uh yeah so they're more like 90 minutes per episode 90 minutes to an hour so a little, a little shorter but um 
Yeah, I strongly recommend anybody who's at all interested to watch that. That was well done. Um, and I know there are uh, documentaries you can watch as well. Um, although i got to be careful with documentaries because so often with documentaries, the people behind the documentary have a position in which they are trying to push and they will make it seem so obvious that, that their position is correct because it's completely one-sided. A documentary only shows what they want to show you. So I always yep. am a little leery of documentaries. They're interesting, but they're also incredibly biased just as a whole. You know, not to say there aren't some really good documentaries too, but but yeah. so so often they are so incredibly biased that documentary movies, while informative, are often informative of one perspective. You know, whoever the director and or producer was. Well, uh, unfortunately, you know, our society as today has exactly that kind of thing going on. People trying to say, "Trust me, trust me." You know, when oh, yeah. the question is, "Why should I trust you instead of somebody else?" So what right. what we're really in is is that you better doubt everybody because they yeah well or I think I think personally if you look at you know multiple perspectives on something and then look and say well what are the things that they're talking about that are in common those things probably are some underlying truths but you certainly yeah. have to to read with a questioning eye or, or <clears throat> listen with a questioning ear to anybody who claims to have answers on just about anything these days yep you know. I mean, totally not political, but all you have to do is look at diet books. There's thousands yeah. of them. Some say oh, yeah. eat only meat. Some say eat only vegetables. Some say eat these vegetables, but not those vegetables. Some say fats are good. Some say fats are bad. You know, there's a diet book to tell you to do anything you want to do. Yep. Uh, you know, <laughs> so what's really healthy? You know? I mean, you would come to the conclusion that we don't know what's healthy, right? Because, well, it's, it's, because it's, it's, we don't have any consensus because all the books say different things. No, a long time ago, I concluded that this word diet says stay away. Okay? Yeah, well, whether if, it's, you know, you, you use the word diet or not, you can say, you know, if you what can't you adjust, eat. If you can't adjust your regular day, day after day to something that involves healthy foods, which means the, the least processed of every type of food there is, you know, that's, that, that's the more. Well, there are books that say that. You know? I don't know of any books that say eat a lot of processed stuff. No. I don't know of any that say that these days, no, because, but there are lots of books that say, you know, yeah, eat fresh and natural, but make it mostly, you know, carb free and beef, beef or, or protein oriented. Eat fresh and natural. Don't eat any meat. It's all vegetables. Eat fresh and natural. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just you can literally find anything you want to eat. You can find somebody who says there's a diet that you can eat this. I, there's a book out there that says basically start your diet for a month. Eat nothing but potatoes. Yeah, there's a yeah. potato diet. <laughs> no, you know, and it's er, like, er, er, at, er, oh, but er, nothing else. You can't have any condiments on it. Just no, the potato. A, no, there's another top level principle. Er, everything in uh, moderation. The word moderation. Yeah, everything yeah. in moderation. Yeah. So that says you got to have variety. Yeah. Well, if you look at us as a society, and you say, you know. Um, you know how many people are, are carrying more weight than they should and what's the you know the balance of health and you compare that to like what we were eating and how we were living in 1940 say you know or inter between you know the 30s say in between the wars right what were people eating and how were they you know because we had generally a healthier society in terms of weight and general health we didn't have nearly the medical capabilities to you know lengthen life because of medications and surgeries and things like that but general health, people ate what? Things that were closer to nature, very often things they grew in their own garden, uh, animals that they raised on their property, 
you know. That's, that's uh, why I, I thought I was so lucky to have grown up on a farm out in the yeah. Midwest where we had not just, we raised grain crops, but we had big gardens that were with mm -hmm. fresh uh, vegetables just about all summer long and what yeah. didn't last then. Well, and you ate seasonally too, right? Yeah. There was winter right. vegetables and there was summer vegetables. And so, right. you know, you ate in you, you you ate corn when corn was in, in uh you know, right. was being uh, was available, and 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 you ate you know other vegetables, and you know tomatoes were when tomatoes were there. You didn't get tomatoes in the middle of the winter, you know, because that's, that's right. not when they grow. And yep. so, you know, and then you there was a whole bunch of we did a lot of uh, uh, of canning and pickling and uh, and jams and preserving things in different ways uh, that didn't necessarily require refrigeration because not everybody well, had access to good refrigeration. And, well, and, uh, and they didn't add chemicals just to, for the Well, sake that's of what I was going to say. They, when, you, when you can it for yourself, you know, you're not putting in a bunch of, of, of chemicals to, to make it, you know, look prettier when you open the can, right, or, or, right. or the jar. And so when, you, when you're preserving things, uh, you know, you just know that, you know, something that's canned isn't going to have the same bright color that it is when it was fresh. It has a different flavor and different texture. That's fine. Mm -hmm. It's just, but, you know, you're still getting some, right? <laughs> There's still some to eat. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's just, a, you know. The, the good and, old and days. The yeah. Well, I mean, for you, it was pre-micro, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, but, you know, you look back at that and you, and you can say, I remember that. You know, there's plenty of people alive today that can remember that type of living and many people today who are living that kind of living. Um but for people who live in, you know, in suburbs and cities and have commuter type jobs and stuff, that's, you know, it's not like you can have uh, goats and chickens for fresh eggs and things like that. And so, you know, that's when people are trying to buy organic and buy from local farms. You know, you, you know, uh, go to your local um, farmers markets. And, you know, I'm lucky I live in California where I can get fresh vegetables year round. You know, a lot of places you can't do that. But here, you know, I can get vegetables that you know i can get tomatoes any time of the year fresh from from gardens locally you know just by going to my farmer's market yep. um you know you can't do that everywhere um but uh you know that's also the the rise of people's interest in like organic things that don't have a bunch of chemicals in them while they're growing thinking well, hey you know people didn't have all those chemicals years ago and they were healthy why am why am i putting on fat you know what we're finding, and it's interesting, I just was doing some reading about this the other day, is a lot of those chemicals that they use as preservatives, when they're in our body, they are misinterpreted to being hormones. And so our body reacts to them in hormonal ways. And that's part of why we tend to put on some fat, is because we're eating chemicals that we didn't, that, that aren't natural to our diets, and our more, body doesn't know what to do with that chemical. Yeah, more than just put on fat. I mean, it it's affecting oh, people yeah. in all kinds of ways. Uh, sure. That that are really uh, terrible. You know. Yeah, we're doing it to ourselves, people. Yeah. Food technology. Who knew we'd go there? You know, on well, my other on my other show, when we talk about food, I ring the bell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did hear. I I I don't know if you. Uh, know that Tobin and Aaron, your brother and sister-in-law, uh, work with a guy named Barry Lowenstein. Have you heard the name? I know Barry Lowenstein from when you were lived here, but yes, I know okay. that they are friends well, with him. Yes. I've become connected with Barry just recently. We're, uh, he is, is kind of, Barry's a, a, a terrific manager and a wonderful person, a just ball of energy. And his latest thing is he's 
made friends with a lot of people in the health industry. And mm-hmm. so uh, every Wednesday I get together on a Zoom meeting with him and a bunch of other people, mostly from California, but I'm the East Coast representative. <laughs> uh-huh. and, uh, and anyway, uh, learning different types of stretches and exercises. And he had a guy mm-hmm. basically uh, uh, spa- that taught a class on nutrition that I was I was convinced that no wonder the Loma Linda people live a long time because basically it's that philosophy. But he well, they are vegetarians so, for those he, who aren't yeah, familiar was, with Loma Linda. It's also one of the blue zones on the planet where people live yeah. longer there. Yep. So uh, anyway, boy, he made he made a, it was an outstanding presentation. Uh, you he know, convinced you, you to give up meat. No, <laughs> but, I, but I understand why they do that. I certainly do. Right. There's no yeah. no doubt about it being there. That that uh, uh, it's a and it's not a diet at all. It's it's all about health. It's all right. health. Well, there's two words. There's and this is where the confusion comes in. Is there's two kind of uses or meanings of the word diet. A diet can be something that you go on temporarily in order to achieve achieve a goal physically, lose weight, yeah. gain weight, whatever it might be. You know, um, yeah. uh, a but your diet is just the stuff you eat, mm-hmm. right? And so the problem is, is we use the same word in two different places, and we really need two separate words, right? Yeah, I mean, we Because it's confusing. It's very confusing. It's, it's, it's like the word love in the Bible has three different, inter- totally separate interpretations. Uh-huh. But, but yeah, that's from read, Latin, right. Yeah, but when you read them in the Bible, you don't, you don't, you don't get the distinctions. And, and it's easy to do, but for some reason... Uh, nobody wants to change their Bibles to, to, to use those different terms. To explain, so right. Because, yeah, in the original um, uh, Greek and, uh, and um, uh, not Hebrew, what's the, um, the original um, language um, that was from endemic from the, the Galilee area? Uh, I can't remember uh, what it's called. Uh, Aramaic. Uh, Aramaic. Yeah, Aramaic. From the, those original languages had uh, three different words that represented the, the meaning of love in different ways. And mm-hmm. so when they were translated, they were just, well, oh, that's love. And so they just used the word love because English doesn't have quite that same nuance for that particular mm-hmm. word, which is interesting but, because, you know, English or, or Latin or whatever language it's being transposed to. I wonder if the Bible, if when it's translated into other languages that have more uh, well, well, specificity here, here, in their use of the word, let, actually do use their words. That's, you know what I mean? That's the that's the beauty of the English languages, is that we do have words that are better translations than just love. For example, filial right. love is brotherly love. You know, brotherly love. People understand that. You know, hey, I got a brother. I love him. You know. Yeah. And but but then I have a wife, and I love her in a different way, and that's that's eros, or where the word erotic comes from. Right. Uh, you know, and and the and the last one is uh, Jesus' love, which was self-sacrificing love. Uh, you know, you right. So you, um, I, I, I don't know what a better yeah, English term you know, for that. But is. again, you know, but 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 what you're basically saying is that we don't have a word for it. What we have is we have fr- uh, 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 phrases, yeah. phrases that we can use to explain it, which we can. And you're right, but phrases are never as neat and clean it's as just thing. having a word. Yeah. And you know, while English doesn't have words specifically that work that way at least not in common use anymore um i mean it might have back in you know middle english or something but um 
But if that were the case, I think it would have gotten translated differently. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't speak German. I don't speak Chinese. I don't speak, you know, Swahili. Do those yeah. languages maybe have different words? And are they then using the proper words for in the proper place? You know, so they may when they're yeah. reading a, 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 uh, a you know, a, a verse from the Bible, uh, pull a different meaning than an average English reader would without having to spend a few minutes to understand or at least try to use the uh, context to determine which, you know, meaning of love was being used there. Right. It's, you know, it's just, it which, just, it which, goes back to just basic communication everywhere, right? We have, we have that issue, especially anytime you're yeah. translating from one language to another is what do you really mean? Yeah. And, and basically what all translators do is they put it in their, their own understanding of what that really means when they read they you know they know the original language and they know their own mm -hmm. language so they do a uh, you know they try to do a good job but it's yeah never yeah it's not their fault they're doing you know? their best but yeah if there isn't a word there just isn't a word you know <laughs> or right. you know in some cases maybe you don't have you, you don't know the vocabulary specifically of what that word is but most people who do translations are pretty good with vocabulary and language you know yeah. they're trying but you know yeah. you can't i mean i guess the alternative is you just make up words you know or you know, you use the Latin word, just stick the Latin word in there, even though it's an English translation, right? And people will just have to learn what it is. You know, you can you can right. highlight or asterisk it and at the bottom then explain, you know? Right. Um, you know, it's not beyond yeah. our well, comprehension. I mean, English, more than any language, steals, adopts, and creates new words for things all the time. You know, if we don't right. have a word that works, we just make one up. People start using yep. it. You know, unlike the French, where it has to get... Approved by the government to change right. the language. <laughs> Thus, the yeah. language doesn't change very much or very often, and they're very proud of that, and more power to them, but that's just not the way we roll. But we're so. really dynamic. I mean, you know, every year they announce new words or words, old oh, words yeah. they took out of the dictionary, you know? Because yeah, nobody's it's like nobody anymore. is saying thou anymore. However, <laughs> you can yeah. say the. Or <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, you're right. English language is an, is an ever-moving target, which is yeah. not necessarily bad. And, you know, and, you know, that, that's an interesting technology, you know, in the sense that, you know, a lot of this other stuff is technology. It, it's what works. It's, it's how do we improve on what we've got without having a, an infinite number of words, you know. <laughs> by, by necessity, we can all only remember so many words to use. And uh, uh, so we, we kind of mm -hmm. limit it somehow. But at the same time... As new things come along, we we got to be able to express them. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, like you said, that's we we adaptation. Have a, we have a very dynamic language, and that's a good thing. You know, I think that allows us to to do what we were talking about earlier, which is solve problems at a different level of thinking, because we've now created words to express ourselves in a different way, and then we can see problems differently and find solutions. But what right. is really and, cool is that at least Greek and uh, Hebrew are still out there. There's native people who use those as their native tongue, you know, so that so that mm -hmm. uh, although, although the they probably change some as well. I was going to say archaic Greek or, or biblical Greek and Aramaic are not the same as current Greek and Hebrew. Um, right. You know, they're same base, but they're not. It's like saying, you know, English and Spanish. You know, there's a lot of words that sound an awful lot alike and have similar meaning, but they're not the same language. You know, the, there are differences. So I, yep. I, as I understand it, and again, I'm not a linguist, as I understand it, somebody speaking um, uh, ancient Greek could not go to Greece and have a conversation with somebody in Greek. 
as it currently exists. The languages have changed enough. But you realize that's, you know, over more than 2,000 years, years. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, things are bound to change a little bit, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real interesting area. And, I, you know, every once in a while you'll run across an article talking about, you know, how languages have evolved and changed. And I always find it interesting to read. It's not something that I, you know, I'm going to spend time to sit down and study and, and learn. But it's funny how they can, um, you know, use, like, phrases that they can find on documents. And they can tell, you know, somebody who's good at it can tell you basically when and where that person came from. Because that's how they phrase things in that location at that time. And they can use language to help, like, date documents even sometimes, um, which is interesting. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're really into that stuff. You know that the uh, guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, that's what he was. He was a linguist. That was what he taught at Cambridge. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, in fact, for his characters, because he made up, you know, uh, uh, um, entire species, you know, there, he created languages for them. And so he created made-up languages which can be written and spoken that are yeah. don't exist in reality they're only in his books but there's people who have gone and learned them and learned to speak them just because why not got you know time on your hands and you're a fan <laughs> i guess you know if that's what floats yep. your boat yep yeah. well i think it's a pretty good time to good. to hang it up i here, think Todd. so let's take a break and i'll oh. take a nap and then i can uh, uh get on with my day as i recover from my second vaccine i got i I don't know if I had said it on the podcast or beforehand, but I got my second vaccine yesterday, and I've got a pretty sore shoulder. I'm a little achy, but overall, I'm pretty good. You know, I've heard I, lots of people talking about feeling really rotten after their second one, and so far, I'm okay. Yeah. I, I've been thinking a lot about uh, Marcelo here recently. Have you seen in the news where the COVID, and the, in fact, it's a, a variation of COVID in right. the is coming out of Brazil and they're really having a trouble time keeping up down there now and no they vaccine are. at they're all available. Yeah, their infrastructure is a mess and in fact I was reading something um, yesterday that, that that Brazilian version of the virus actually now has split and there's two different versions of the Brazilian version and one of them is actually causing uh, an, a huge uptick in the deaths of people in, uh, in age groups 30 and 40. So 30 and 40 year olds, previously oh. no issues and perfectly healthy, have been dying when they get one of the two of those, which is scary. Oh. You know, because yeah. previously, if you were healthy and you know under the age of 40 or 50, most mostly it was like, well, you're probably going to be fine if you do get it. You probably well, either have Marcello's, no symptoms or have Marcello's mild symptoms. Over 50, you know, but he's I got, know he is. I, but he's got kids and he's got family. Yeah. You know, right. and I not worry about. I worry about. You know. I don't worry about, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that there's other people living there, you know, <laughs> and when, yep. when, when there's a new strain that is possibly, um, you know, taking healthy people at a younger age than was previously thought to be something that was happening. That's, that's right. something to keep an eye on and certainly be scared, you know, or not scared of, but aware of, keep tracking it. You know, you hope that our, our, uh, health officials are on, on top of that and that they're maybe trying to reach out and help Brazil, um, you know, I read that the U.S. has uh, uh, several million vaccinations of the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine that the U.S. purchased, but the AstraZeneca has not been approved for use in the U.S. But it is used; it, it is uh, approved for use in Europe and in Canada and in South America and Mexico. And so, um, uh, it was my understanding in, in the article that I read that the U.S. is looking for 
uh, a way to to make that available to those countries where it's been approved so they can use it because it's just sitting sure. there in storage right now you know uh, yeah especially since we've we've ramped up the the production of the three that are approved here so we don't seem to be in a position where we need to hang on to it just in case we got to start well, you know well, well the, it out. the one the one thing that we have to keep in mind about this whole thing is that until the world the world has gotten it under control none of us are safe right you know, because uh, vaccine or viruses like this just continue to mutate and uh, they you do know, you and there's already old. signs that there's already signs that some of those some of the some of the mutations are not as affected by the vaccine as some of the initial ones right which you know that's that's particularly scary is that so, you know we could have a whole nother wave of this coming through and everybody who got vaccinated is not protected so yeah, now you've got to go yep. yeah go through it all again and they've got to create another vi- vaccine and they've got everybody's got to get another shot and you know i mean this could be a never-ending thing if we don't uh you know and the thing is is it's already spread worldwide so it's hard to you know you can't get countries to agree on the time of day much less uh you know how we're going to distribute and who should get it and all that stuff you would you yeah. would hope that each country would within their own walls within their own borders find a, a way to be as fair as possible for their population but uh yeah but there's lots of gobs and gobs of small countries out there who don't have the resources to do any of this to do anything know? yeah to do nothing they're 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 just sitting there oh. hoping to weather the whole thing yep, yep. i know so it's, anyway it's a difficult prayers. situation yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Prayers for those and, and for those and for any of us who, who find ourselves in that situation. Right. And when yes. I say uh, us, I mean the whole world, all That's human it. beings. So um, on that uh, prayerful note, let's uh, wrap this puppy up and we'll be back. Uh, this week we came a day late because yesterday I was getting my, my vaccine, but uh, we expect to be back next Monday. We hope that you'll join us here on uh, Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. And I'm Jack Brinker saying so long for another week or maybe thursday we'll have a supplement oh that's right we talked about that so thursday yeah i have to make sure i mark it on my calendar so i don't forget so i'll be here and online and uh, we can see uh roughly the same time frame you want to do it like eight o'clock ish my time uh what is that uh, uh your time yeah that sounds good if it's different i'll call you okay okay yeah because if they're in school are they doing online or are they on spring break uh no they're I, I don't know what the reason is, but they're going to be here on Thursday. So Okay, so we may have to work around their schedule. So we'll figure it out, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for joining okay. us.